welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. This is the show where we go over the basics of an individual stock in about 40 to 50 minutes. And then on this week's show, we're going to cover the history, financials, future growth opportunities, bull and bear case, everything you need to know about digital turbine, a small cap advertising and mobile solutions company, as they call themselves. They have some great consulting names for a lot of their products, which Ryan will get into, and it can be quite confusing. We're going to try to simplify that process for you. Ryan, uh, how was researching Digital Turbine? Tough, a lot of weird names for all their products. Yeah, they're, they're like in the process of restructuring how they want to think of the business because they've made acquisitions recently. So it was kind of hard to like construct it in a way that's easily digestible for listeners. But I think I got, I think I did a decent job. And we got a lot of pro forma results, all that good stuff. I'm going to let Ryan introduce the company, but first we need to talk about our sponsor for this not so deep dive episode. And that is potential multi-baggers. The aim of the potential multi-bagger service is to find stocks that can go up 10 X over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. Potential multi-baggers picks high growth stocks to hold them for a long period of time. If this is your style of investing, which I believe overlaps a lot with our show, uh, this is the perfect service to help with your research process. Of course, they have to continue performing to hold them. So Chris and the team behind them uh, continually updates their research on the companies. They're not afraid to admit when they are wrong. Buy and, buy and verify approach. That is what they call it. Exactly. And they do deep research about the companies they hold. For every pick, you get five different articles together at over 20,000 words to spread out and help with your research process in identifying what companies you want to own. So if you want to become a multi and join the potential multi-bagger service, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value. Google it or go to at From Value on Twitter. The link is also in our show notes. All right, Ryan, introduce Digital Turbine. Yeah, Digital Turbine is a software, or maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll say software provider that essentially sits between device manufacturers or uh, mobile phone carriers. So think Verizon, AT&T, and then for some of the little guys, it's, they, they, for some of the little carriers, they have to focus more on the device, the actual OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, which happens to be like the Samsung and the LGs of the world. Um, and so they, they were, they sit between them and then <clears throat> brands or app creators. So there are several ways that they do this, but the overarching goal is to get users of those devices, which is basically everything that's non-iPhone to download apps thanks to the digital turbine recommendation. And obviously that's something brands are are more than willing to pay for. So I'll I'll kind of go through the different products. The first one, this is what they're primarily known for. It's called on-device media. The, The product that they have is actually called Ignite. So if it's referred to as either one of those, just think on device media. Um, This makes up 65% of the company's overall revenue, and it's an advertising platform that comes pre-installed on handheld devices by top carriers and OEMs. And when I say OEMs, think Samsung's, LG's, that's the the manufacturers. And it allows users to install relevant apps on their new phones when they first activate them. So in my mind, this is essentially a win-win-win, right? As you're getting ready for the installation process or in the process of installing or activating your phone, users get uh, apps based on different information about that user recommended to them that are relevant apps they might want. Digital Turbine gets paid by the app owner once a user installs or uh, clicks on that app. There's different ways that they get paid for that. And then Digital Turbine pays out a 
portion of that money to the service provider. So service service provider wins, digital turbine wins, brand or the app provider wins, and so does the user. Now explaining what is the service provider, because I think some people might be confused if they're listening to this. The carrier. Okay. Or in some cases, it also goes to the manufacturer. So that that was a part that I had a little bit of difficulty understanding because the relationships uh, vary depending on who sort of has negotiating power. Um, yep. So some and of the small carriers don't have as much negotiating power. So digital turbine goes through the OEMs. I think cases. simplifying it, think revenue share with all their partners uh, that yep. they're trying to provide value to. Well, except for the advertisers, obviously the advertisers are paying them. Right. And so when, when digital turbine uh, uh, recommends a relevant app to a user, they can make money in a few different ways, but there's basically three ways. So uh, one, just a straight up fee for installs. So if the user installs it, digital turbine collects a fee from the app Two, uh, revenue when a user clicks on the app. So that's more targeted, probably more costly. And then the third one is a fee for some sort of action within the app. So think uh, they had to deal with Netflix where every time there's a subscriber or a new subscriber through them, uh, they get a portion of that. So that's the various ways that they can collect revenue. However, they've been trying to become more integrated. Uh, they've been trying to diversify away the revenue streams purely from that one process or product to uh, being more integrated within the software of the phone on other services. And they call this part the in-app media. So this goes beyond the activation phase and essentially into two other products, single tap and folder. So single tap is a feature and, and they talk about this a lot. Single tap is a feature that allows users to install an app from an in-app link. Let's say there's like a banner ad or something like that. You can click on the banner ad. You can instantly install that app without having to go through the app store. And so these work for display ads, banner ads, video ads. Basically, it's integratable. I don't know if integratable is a word, but it can be integrated into various different places on in-app media. If that is that, am I describing that in a way that makes sense? It just, I think you just need to simplify and say it's advertising in-app and they're trying to go from less one-time revenue from install, like setting up phones to more recurring revenue with their customers. Um, both the users of phones, advertisers and publishers who want to either find more customers or monetize their stuff. They want to increase that relationship. And especially because they already have a lot of relationships with these publishers, like a Zynga, like, a, well, any other app you can think of that wants to monetize through advertising. And all right. Another part of the value in this is let's say you're Starbucks and you want, want to run an ad with digital turbine where it's single tap and it's maybe a display ad and someone's, uh, let's use not Zynga, but maybe a Washington post or something like that. It's a display ad in a newspaper you can get with single tap. They don't go to the app store and see all the other alternatives. They instantly install it without having to explore. So it's kind of more, uh, there's just less steps in that process, which makes the advertising inventory more valuable. And then the other product that they work on is called folders. So, uh, this is where, uh, and I'm sure a lot of iPhone or sm- any anyone smartphone users probably do this. They, they group their apps together. Digital Turbine is able to offer on a few of their different carriers is able to offer recommendations for new apps to be included in that folder. So, uh, let's say you've put together a streaming folder. They can offer you Hulu if you don't have that yet, something like that. Um, and then they're so those are the well three. they have like twelve products, but that's the you know. They in the last conference call, he said uh, Bill Stone said they're trying to group it into three, two different categories. Oh, categories, sure, sure. But they said they have just not too confusing. They have a lot, like dozen plus different products for customers. And the uh, but they've also been acquiring just ad marketplaces lately. So it's not just they. That's, I guess, another pillar of their strategy. So the, the two that they, I guess, the three that they recently acquired are Fiber, Ad Colony, and Appreciate. Um, and they all run fairly similar models. They're basic mobile programmatic advertising marketplaces. So they connect um, either demand, either uh, other demand side platforms or advertisers with publishers, like Brett mentioned, as Zynga, something like that. Um, and they are 
essentially acquiring them and using or leveraging single tap to kind of enhance the value that they would provide to an advertiser. That seems to be the strategy right now. Well, it, yeah. And just, I forget even which one of these was just a DSP and well, one was with an advertising marketplace, but think there's when, when someone's advertising on mobile, they want to connect the advertiser to the publisher beforehand. Digital turbine had to go to third-party marketplaces. Some of them, these acquisitions that they made, now they're trying to make it. So basically if you want to go from advertising all the way to the publishing part, publishing the ad on a, on a mobile app, you just have to go through Digital Turbine. And in fact, some of the other ad tech players like the Trade Desk and Pubmatic will be using, um, in a small part, because Digital Turbine is very, very small, the, the marketplace. So I think hopefully that gives a good illustration of what the business basically provides. Uh, but the history was really hard to get any sort of a grasp on. And I actually found it a little bit suspicious. Uh, so from, from what I could find, the original group was founded in 1998 uh, and they were called EB2B Commerce Incorporated, uh, which sounds like the most typical dot-com name I've ever heard. Uh, but the, the company tried to reinvent itself several times after that. Uh, they, event, they changed their name to Mandalay Digital Group. Um, I, they may have even had a name change in between there as well, but they uh, around 2012 is when things started to pick up. So they hired Bill Stone as the CEO, or they hired Bill Stone. He became the CEO in 2014. Um, and at the time, they were basically just a typical advertising, uh, just another advertising marketplace. However, in 2014, they signed a deal with Verizon, which allowed them to pre install apps on its phones. And that's really when things picked up. The stock pretty much doubled, I believe, in like the matter of two weeks. Um, there were a lot of skeptical articles written at this time that I could find. Uh, and but it worked a lot of equity. Yeah. The, the only gripe with the only gripe I have with their history is that they would try to reinvent themselves and then issue equity, um, which feels sort of like a grab for money. So the share count has uh, increased 1400% since 2012. Um, it's uh that's been also obviously attributable to a lot of the acquisitions. They made one in 2014, 2015 for 33% of the company. Um, and then they've obviously made other ones since a lot of those are stock deals. So that's well, we'll get to not recently. We'll get to that. I think later in the show, uh, maybe some gripes with the credit facility, but, but yeah, sorry. Anything else? No, it's, that's about it. I think they went, it was hard to get a, timeline on the IPO, uh, but they officially became Digital Turbine in 2014. Yeah, essentially Bill Stone is the founder and you can see why he decided to go in that direction. He was kind of a perfect fit when I get to management and ownership, but let's hit industry competition. Uh, Digital Turbine operates in the mobile advertising industry. There are wide ranging estimates on how large this industry is. I don't know really how they can have these wide of ranges, but that just kind of shows us third party marketing uh, statistic places are not that reliable. We can kind of give you a, a wide, uh, just a vague grasp of how large an industry is, but we're going to go off their investor presentation. So in 2021, mobile advertising was estimated to be at just under $400 billion. I think the big takeaway is that it's a huge industry. And by 2025, this is expected to grow to over $600 billion in annual advertising spend. Now, don't put that in the bank because if we go into recession through uh, the next few years, I doubt mobile advertising will be $600 billion. But either way, when the economy is growing, it is typically over the last, say, 15 to 20 years grown at a much quicker pace than overall GDP. Now, Digital Turbine itself expects its TAN to be about $500 billion by 2025. So their total addressable market, $500 billion again. That's just really, really large. And given the size of their business right now, which we'll get to in the earnings, you don't really need to worry about the market opportunity. It's all about winning, winning uh, the spend from advertisers. Now, that comes into the competition. And when looking at them, it's a bit weird because they have some frenemies. They have some competitors that they actually work with. So I put them into three sets. First are the legacy walled gardens in Google and Facebook, plus anything else Google and Facebook own. Now, these are the vast majority of mobile advertising spend, as we know, by the giant top lines of these companies. And given its important relationship now, it I mean, Digital Turbine's important relationship with Android slash Google, this frenemy dynamic 
will be important to watch out for. Now, they did sign a long-term agreement with Google back in late 2021, so that is a good sign. But still, the relationship with Android, who is owned by someone they compete with for mobile ad dollars, is something to, I think, consider maybe before making an investment. Now, second group are other applications or people might want to spend on mobile advertising. This would include Snap, Twitter, Spotify, et cetera, lots and lots of other smaller ones. However, given their expansion into the DSP, which is demand side platform and the marketplace stuff that they acquired, they actually want to work with a lot of these applications now to improve their advertising capabilities and get a cut of that action. So again, it's, it's a bit of a frenemy dynamic. They're just trying to get a revenue share of a lot of that ad spend. And then third, their other set of competitors are other advertising technology companies that are not Walt Gardens. This would be the Trade Desk, Pubmatic, Magnite, even Unity, I guess is big for monetizing um, mobile games for their developers, the people that use their platform. A lot, all of those companies can be included here. Essentially, any company that is working with advertisers or publishers to make mobile advertising work is a competitor to Digital Turbine. But like we mentioned before, some of these companies have to work with some of Digital Turbine's products, um, like their marketplace, uh, DSP, a demand side platform might be working with that. So it can be a bit confusing, but I think, it's a very competitive industry with lots and lots of large, well-capitalized companies. Now, let me move to management and ownership. CEO, as Ryan mentioned, was Bill Stone. He's been there since 2012 and has been the CEO since 2014. Now, why I mentioned that he was kind of a perfect fit is he has many decades working in the telecom and mobile applications market. So you can see why they chose him as an outsider to run the business. And you can see why they pivoted to these mobile app installs, because I think he had a great grasp of what you know, Verizon and AT&T couldn't do and what sort of value they could provide with their software and getting that advantage of being having that software installed on the manufactured devices. He is 53 years old. Um, his base salary was a relatively, I'd say average $575,000. And then he had $2.23 million in total compensation that has been rising quite quickly since 2019. However, I think that makes sense, given how fast Digital Turbine has grown. CFO is Barrett Garrison. He has been the CFO since 2016, overseeing gross profit per share increase from less than $0.25 to $3.57 today. So very impressive growth uh, overseen by Garrison here. And then let's look through, I want to hit on their executive compensation philosophy. It's pretty standard, although there is some things in here that we ourselves do not like. And I'm looking at last year's proxy because their fiscal year ends in March and the proxy is not out yet. They have a fixed base salary not tied to any performance. That's that $575,000 for Stone. They have a focus on long-term equity awards instead of cash bonuses. And their equity awards are based on revenue and non-GAAP adjusted EBITDA. Now that's the big thing. And it's very common, but equity awards based on non-GAAP adjusted EBITDA where you're um, Xing out the stock-based compensation can be a bit of a loophole for executives to get paid a lot of stock when they're not actually creating true value for shareholders, but that's a whole conversation for another day. Either way, they're not getting paid too much here where it's a big deal. Now, here's a quote um, from the proxy statement to get, and get a grasp on how they how they do it. Performance vesting stock units are used to are to be contingent on achievement of three-year revenue and adjusted EBITDA goals. So fairly long-term goals, they're not just getting paid willy-nilly here, but again, adjusted EBITDA is not the best performance metric. And now I want to give in a new stat here that I think I'm going to use for management and ownership, and that is gross profit as a percentage, or sorry, executive compensation as a percentage of gross profit. I think this is a great measure to see how much a company is paying its executives as a percentage of, say, the profits it could be generating. And digital turbines in 2021, fiscal year 2021, which ended last March, was 3.3%. So fair amount, uh, but not an egregious one. And then lastly, share count has gone from around 86 million at the end of 2019 to 98 million today. And they have 7.1 million options outstanding as of end of year 2022. That's March 2022 compared to 98 million shares of standing. So definitely expect 
share count to continue to rise. Any comments or questions, Ryan, on management and ownership? Well, there's not on the management and ownership, but it's a good time to talk about the shares outstanding because they have had a combination of not all their acquisitions are the same. They don't necessarily have like a blueprint for choosing to do it in all stock deals or all cash deals, but they also have um, like, so their fiber one was really big. It was a $600 million deal, 400 million of which came in stock in the form. Of was it? Are you sure? I'm looking at it right now. $400 million in payable payable in shares of digital turbine and $150 million in cash additional earnout payment. Uh, and they they also, that is a big feature of their acquisition is they have earnout clauses. Um, the one that they did with Ad Colony was a $150 million to $175 million earnout on a $350 million uh, acquisition. So they they incentivize them to stick around and continue to perform after they're around because they give them these giant bonuses if they're able to do that. And that, that one was cash, right? That one was cash, but the bigger one, uh, which was fiber, was essentially $450 million in stock. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. But at the time, uh, digital turbine stock had gone into that bubble phase of the small cap kind of growth market. And it's, Honestly, it's great that they use their stock to acquire for shareholders. Maybe that bought then it's not great, but I think it's great that they use their stock a little bit aggressively, but given we'll hit the balance sheet with Ryan, but given that they took out a lot of debt to do some of the acquisitions, I maybe would have some gripes with them not using their stock when it was trading in like, I believe 50 times gross profit. It's for you. Credentials to advance, confidence to stand out in your career. At Regent University, you'll join more than 30,000 world changers making a difference in high-demand fields. Pursue your bachelor's, master's, or doctorate online or on campus in Virginia Beach. Your degree from top-ranked Regent University is waiting. So is the world you will elevate. Say yes to your purpose and position yourself for a brighter future. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Regent.edu slash learn more. Uh, but either way, let's move into valuation now. Market cap, $1.77 billion, tickers APPS, so apps. Enterprise value, $2.18 billion, given their high debt load. And I just have two um, metrics here that I think are the most important ones to track for digital turbine, and that is trailing 12-month enterprise value to gross profit and trailing 12-month enterprise value to free cash flow. Enterprise value to gross profit is 63 and enterprise value to free cash flow is 35.5. From their analyst day, which was in November 2021, their long-term target is for 25% to 30% revenue growth with EBITDA margins expanding to 25%. Given their business model, this could tr- probably translate to about 15% to 20%, 20% free cash flow margins because they are capital light. I just want to give that reference there. You can watch the investor presentation if you want all the details. But that was one of the main takeaways besides that vertically integrated stuff that they're working on. And they really expect themselves to continue growing revenue, gross profit at a high rate, along with uh, getting solid operating leverage. All right, Ryan, you want to hit earnings? Yeah. And I'll also say they're on the all ticker team. Uh, apps is a top-notch yes. ticker. Maybe one of the best I've seen. Well, uh, woof. Wolf is good. Wolf, yeah, Wolf's hard to beat. Uh, yeah, I'll hit, hit the earnings. So their full year revenue for 2022 was $748 million. That was up 138% year over year, but that was inorganic. So on a pro forma basis, that means all the businesses, what their actual growth was individually, um, well, in aggregate. But if the acquisition started at the beginning of the fiscal year, right, was 41%. So that's sort of the organic growth figure. And then 46% gross margins. Like I said, there's a large chunk of uh, their revenue that has to get paid out to the service providers, um, those carriers that I was talking about. And then they had <clears throat> on that $748 million in revenue, they had $92 million in operating income. So that came out to about 12.3% operating margin. Their earnings before taxes was about 44 million. So 6% earnings before taxes margin, uh, which is about half of their operating margin. Uh, The majority of the difference there was a $41 million change in fair value consideration um, associated with an earn out as part of the fiber acquisition. So they do their financial statements. And I think you'll hear it 
in how we throughout the rest of this uh, episode, they get tricky because of all the different acquisition clauses and all the different earnouts. Watch out for those non-cash charges and watch out for those liabilities on the balance sheet. Those, you know, just watch, just watch out for them, see where they change. But they generated about $85 million in operating cash flow for the year. So they do generate cash on an operating basis. However, they've used a lot of that cash to make acquisitions and their operating cash flow for reference was up 35% year over year. Um, Typically, they don't have a lot of capital expenditures, like true capital expenditures in the form of like property and equipment purchases because they are a fairly asset-like business. Um, But they spent, they paid about $150 million to acquire the two businesses that I mentioned before um, or the three three businesses. And then they also had a line in their cash flow statement that said $303 million charge for payment of deferred business acquisition consideration. That leads me right into the balance sheet on April 29th of 2021, which was this fiscal year, uh, Digital Turbine amended their credit agreement that it had with Bank of America, which allowed them to access $400 million worth of additional credit on top of its already existing $300 million. Um, and they eventually added to that another $125 million totaling, sorry, I'm going a little long-winded here, $866 million of available credit credit to withdraw. Simplifying it, I think they used their credit facility to fund the growth they want to do. I think that's the big takeaway, right? Right. And for anyone who isn't familiar with the, the terminology and we're not the best experts at it, but this is your revolving credit line. If you see that, I always find it funny when people say they pulled their revolver, like it sounds like a Western shootout. Um, but this is a revolving credit line that they have with a bank or uh, a group of lenders. Um, and the interest rate, the interest rate on the line of credit is variable. So these, there, there are some different interest rates that they can ultimately pick from, but it'll likely be the LIBOR rate. So the London Inter- Interchange, I'm blanking on the, what the acronym is for, uh, but you can- uh, It's LIBOR what? LIBOR plus what? Like Plus one and a half to two and a quarter. So, and it depends on their leverage ratio. So it's a little bit of a complicated variable rate. But basically if interest rates rise, they're- payments are likely going to rise, uh, sorry, their interest expense will rise all else equal. Yes. And this year it came out to their interest rate was about 2.6% when you include their fees associated with your undrawn credit line. So if you don't draw it, you have to pay a fee uh, annually. So that plus their interest rate ended up being about 2.6%. Yeah. That rate's going up for sure. (laughs) That's the thing is with these variable rates, um, as the rates rise for the banks, you're going to have a higher rate as the, the borrower. So um, right now they have about $533 million in total debt on the balance sheet. 98% of that is long-term. So not, not a lot was due over the next 12 months, but the credit line matures in 2026. So $533 million due in 2026, they are not earning a ton of cash flow. Well, I mean, it's not a it's bad ratio. It's not a bad ratio, no, but they got to they got to keep generating cash. Um, but they only have 127 million dollars in cash and equivalents. So, uh, they are in a pretty I guess you would call it it's roughly I'm doing this math in my head, but about four times their total net debt to annual operating cash flow would be my guess. It's around that. Yeah, it's like it's not a tight situation, but it's not a conservative situation. Basically, the majority of their cash flow is going to be paid back to the debt holders over the next four or five years. There's a chance that they roll that debt. Um, uh, I, I would hope that they don't have to do that if rates continue to rise. Yeah, I would hope they pay it down. Like that would be my goal. That would be a good positive indicator of me if they continue to pay that down because, yes, those interest expenses. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Uh, it doesn't seem the best. rising for the time being. Yes, exactly. All right, anecdotal evidence, Ryan. Anything here? I know you're an iPhone user, so I got more of the anecdotal evidence. I have an iPhone one. user. They... 
Well, they're moving into iPhones a bit yeah, with the mobile advertising. Slightly. So a few of the ad marketplaces that they've acquired have some, uh, collect some of the revenue on the iPhone. So the IDFA changes, they talked about that on the conference call. They said they didn't, it did not impact their overall business that much, which is kind of nice compared to a lot of the other advertising players. I am an iPhone user though, so I don't get to experience uh their actual products much at all or, or their the core services. ones yeah um i have read some blogs online that described it as bloatware so uh, that's a bit harsh i think it's harsh what, what what's your experience been with them because they seem fine i mean i have android it seems fine to me like the preload stuff is slightly spammy but it's not i mean you probably watched those videos outlining how it works it's not that bad i mean if it shows you to download uber spotify and amazon i don't think that's a huge it's not that spammy to me uh and everything else is very very standard internet stuff however i think on another note in-app mobile game monetization so i'll say that again because it's a bit that was a bit of a word sound in-app mobile game monetization could really use some improvement because a lot of those i don't know if anyone's played mobile games or any other sort of app that uses these type of advertising services that's not a facebook property or maybe a snap or whatever you get like the same ad 10 times in a row. So I think there's a big way to improve these non-Google, these non-Facebook, uh, these non-social media um, mobile advertising, like uh, not, what am I trying to say? Just the strategy, the way, uh, get them more effective. Yeah, and I do like being able to bypass the app store uh, in those sort of apps like or not apps ads where you've got a video ad right now in my experience i have to click into the app store then i kind of get if if i look through the reviews or i see other products i can get deterred from downloading it so from an advertiser's perspective i would see that why that's more valuable Mm -hmm. and it's nice that google signed that long-term deal and it seems like they're okay with the single tap stuff now i don't think apple would be good with this, but Android's large enough for a company of digital turbine size of only $2 billion enterprise value. And that leads us into future growth opportunities. So Ryan, what do you got? Looks like you got DSP stuff. Yeah. So I, I use the appreciate acquisition. And if, if you look it up, the, the, the other name they go by is Triapodi Limited. So mm-hmm. appreciate's a little easier, but it's an Israeli based <clears throat> demand side platform. So, um, this is an essentially another one of their ad marketplaces that they're gobbling up. And it's not big relative to like fiber or ad colony. It was only $22.5 million deal. It was paid for in cash. Um, but I like that strategy of buying the ad marketplaces for their customer relationships and then being able to license or, or not license because it's owned by you, but leverage um, your single tap technology to kind of enhance the value that they provide to their customers. Uh, it seems like a big sort of step change in value provided. And just the, so say you're, um, okay, well, what type of app would be? Pandora is a long time, a long time customer. If Pandora was using them for the pre-install stuff through the core digital turbine business, you go to them and say, look, you're spending with us here. Why don't we help you actually monetize your app and you can use us as the ad marketplace and we can bring advertisers to you in a highly effective manner because we have this vertically integrated marketplace. Now that's competing a lot with, you know, a company like the trade desk or whatever, but seems like a very sound strategy. My question is why if single tap is this, very useful, I guess, feature that they have and provide. Why are they trying? They're also getting a lot of interest to license it. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. When did you see that? They talked about it on the conference call. They talked about all the demand they're getting to license the single tap technology. I would hope they don't do that. Yeah. My thought would be keep it proprietary, especially if you're going to buy the ad marketplaces because it enhances the value of your own marketplaces. Exactly. So Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe they're, kind of maybe uh, are they describing, yeah, yeah. Are they describing it as bringing single tap onto these publishers or having other advertisers? Cause that could have just been weird wording. Was it no, specifically I mean, for even, other advertising technology companies? To yeah. Use it? So even appreciate was using them prior. Hmm. Well, to, I, I think that's, I, again, these are complicated. It's so hard to get the back end, but I think that's just cause they had to connect. You have to connect to the end customer. If you get what I mean? 
So I don't think they're giving up that proprietary stuff because no one they ha, no one can no one else has the software on device. Not the software on device, but if you're letting the other ad marketplaces use single tap. Yeah, but no one else can copy them without you because they don't have the software on the on the uh, OEM. Sorry, the whatever the the actual device. I guess I don't follow because the what value how much more valuable is an ad marketplace as owned so you you own it now if there isn't any difference if there isn't any difference between you owning it and it being its own and you're just licensing the single tap well yeah it's a give and take it's it's so you're going to be earning revenue if you have single tap going in through these other third-party marketplaces but if it's proprietary, then they have to go through you. So they're making money either way and no one can copy them without partnering with them. Sorry, no one can copy them or use single tap without you know going through digital turbine, at least at this moment. So I think both situations are solid, but it's hard to see what would be the best strategy long-term. Yeah. All right, what's your, I mean- this Well, I said single tap. Yeah, I mean, I had single tap. This is the most hyped up product. Uh, we already described what it is. And it is that, you know, I mean, it's proprietary because it, given their relationship with the software on the mobile devices, it's very unlikely that an ad tech company can copy that. And they did sign that multi-year agreement with Google, which is really nice to see, like I mentioned. And why we've been talking about single tap so much is because they believe it is going to be on its own a $1 billion revenue opportunity. And that is larger than their trailing to a month revenue today. So a lot of the growth is going to come from there. All right. Highlights, lowlights, Ryan, what did you like and dislike about this business? The click to install rate is higher with digital turbine than other advertising locations. That's something that they really talk about, kind of brag about as they should, if it's, if it's true, um, because Theoretically, that means it's way more valuable to advertisers than other ad spots. Um, the other thing that I like about that is if we enter a recession, and I guess we're already in a recession, so I should stop saying um, Well, most likely, given the GDP numbers that are coming out, yeah. But, I mean, some recessions aren't that meaningful. <laughs> okay. Even in a bear market, let's say, the uh, advertisers might be pulling back on their marketing budgets. I would think if they're getting a higher click to install rate here, and this is the more valuable one, they would, this would be one of the last to go in terms of ad spots. I agree. So that I like. Um, low lights though, they are very dependent on the relationship with the big carriers. That's not necessarily, it's kind of like what else could they do essentially? Because that's just a function of being in a market where you're providing services to the big mobile operators or the mobile carriers because Verizon and AT&T take up such a big chunk of that. Um, but they, they, I mean, they, they highlight it as a risk factor. Yeah. And hopefully they're diversifying out of this as they move more internationally, because as a lot of people, well, maybe people don't know this, but a lot, you know, AT&T and Verizon have a huge market share in the United States. And I guess they signed T-Mobile too. Uh, so hopefully that will diversify it a bit. But as they move internationally where Android is way more prominent, hopefully they'll diversify to a lot more telco providers. Yeah, I believe they have 40 different partners overall, but the majority of, or as they say, a significant portion of our revenue are currently being derived from a limited number of wireless carriers and customers. Um, it's just a risk that you have to take. Well, yeah, most important relationships are what? Samsung, Android, Verizon, AT&T right now. Yeah. And then the other things, and these are maybe small ones, but I just got a few yellow flags listening to management and reading the conference call. Um, the CEO at one point did during his, basically his prepared remarks basically said, we've been, he bragged that we've been growing at a compounded annual growth rate of 180% over the last four years and did not mention acquisitions in that sentence well i mean no reason to sell on that but no i find them but i don't like when i i, I kind of hate that like uh, look how big our growth has been but you know it's not organic eh, yeah i don't know not a big deal to me but i can see why you're upset by it also uh they had to restate their financial results in may they're currently being investigated for it um they overstated the revenue 
the net revenue from the companies they were acquiring and a big chunk of their, or not a big chunk, but a portion of their cost of goods sold those, those other, the companies they had acquired put into their uh, product development costs. So maybe it's just a little bit of accounting. I don't think this was a big deal reading into it. Like gross profit per share is still at a great rate. And it was just the revenue share stuff being misclassified. I, the businesses aren't like fraudulent, you know? It doesn't change the bottom line. No, no, exactly. But They're still generating does, cash. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, just look at gross profit. Even just ignore revenue. Just look at gross profit. I mean, the gross profit was changed as well. but uh, Slightly. But a lot of this was the classifying as net, like uh, net instead your, of- Your gross revenue is net revenue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, if if anything materializes from the investigation, that's a problem for them. That's true. That is true. It's I mean, it's never a good thing. Never a good thing. All right, my highlights: they locked up that partnership with Google and Android, which is great to see. You know, solid unit economics. If you're looking at a gross profit basis, uh, that should really scale with no capex. Hopefully, that should lead to solid margins. I do believe they have at least a decent competitive advantage versus other mobile ad tech services. You know, with their uh, OEM, which the manufacturers again, and their carrier relationships. Management seems to want to stick around. A lot of these executives have longer tenures as kind of mercenaries, which is great to see. And then the acquisitions make a lot of sense and they really make them, you know, they can now hopefully become competitive with the big dogs in the industry, not Google or Facebook, but kind of the big dogs in the ad tech market. Low lights, customer concentration, like we already talked about. Let's see. Uh, we already talked about financing the acquisitions with the variable interest rate debt. I would have loved to see them use their stock when it was at 50 times gross profit, but uh, hindsight 2020 in the past is the past. Surprisingly, I found minimal lowlights here. I was expecting on a small cap to find more, but I really like their position in the industry. However, when we'll talk about in the bear case, well, no, and more or less interested. This is an industry that is tough to kind of get a grasp on who the winners are. But let's move in. We're running out of time. Let's move into the bull case. Brian. Well, I'm going to let you put some numbers on it first. Okay, I'll go first. So if they achieve what they outlined during their investor day, they will hit $1 billion in EBITDA within five years. And given their capital expenditures, you know, given that depreciation and amortization are, are a little overstated, interest rate, there also it, be a lot of interest. Interest expense bets. might be higher, but I kind of think that should translate to a good amount of free cash flow, probably in the 600 to 750 million range at least. And that will help them easily pay down their debt. And if they get to, I mean, if they get to a billion dollars in EBITDA, they can generate their entire current market cap in cash within a few years after that. So yeah, that's the bull case. If they do what they say they're going to do at the investor day, I, I mean, this is a potential 10 bagger within a decade. Yeah. Uh, since you already put some numbers on it, I'm not going to repeat them, but I'll talk about the drivers. Pretty much for me, there's two important factors. Grow the number of devices that their software is on. I'm not just talking about the on-device software, but the, the uh, tap to install and the folders products. They have to get carriers to, I remember them in their investor day presentation, uh, the number of carriers with three to four products, three to four of Digital Turbines products on them is significantly lower than the total amount of carrier partners that they have. Yeah, they so, had like way more, a lot with zero to two, some with three to four, and only a few with like five to 12. You want to see that improving. Yeah, and so if they're able to do that, that means they're going to be able to increase their revenue per device. So uh, that combination right there, of more devices, higher revenue per device, uh, that, that's probably how they're going to be able to hit those growth figures that they've outlined. Yep, and the operating leverage should kick in if it's from existing customers. All right, bear case. Ryan, what are you what are you, what are your thoughts? What could go wrong here? Well, the if advertising does fall off some sort of a cliff, I guess in this recession, like everyone seems to be worried about, um, they might not be as competitively advantaged or immune to that as maybe they've outlined or I feel like they would be. So there's that risk. Also, smart. We forgot to say smartphone sales too. And write that down. If those deteriorate a lot, you know, new unit sales. They can offset that with new carrier partners, but that's true. It's still ahead when they'd be fighting. Um, the other thing is, I'm not so enthusiastic 
I like the core business of the on-device media. I think that's very differentiated um, compared to a lot of, I mean, no one else is able to do that. Uh, however, I'm not as enthusiastic about the other elements of their business. I know single taps fairly differentiated, but I think it's very different. Well, I mean, it is, it's slightly it's better. It's not, not like a tax much yeah. of a help going through the app store is not that big of friction. And <laughs> frankly, a lot of people like the process of going through the app store. I like seeing the reviews before I install something. Good point. Um, so, and they're allocating a lot of capital there. So if, if they pour a lot of capital into that side of their business, or they make a lot of acquisitions on that side, the, it could potentially be at risk if it isn't that differentiated. And that is a really competitive world yep. at the ad marketplaces. Now, I think a bull would argue that given their software on device relationship with the wireless carriers and the manufacturers like Samsung, that will potentially give them a competitive advantage within the DSP ad tech world, the more standard ad tech world compared to a, a Magnite Pubmatic trade desk. But that is to be seen yet. I, I mean, they're a lot smaller. It, like, I think there's more to it because there's got to be a reason that the Trade Desk and Pubmatic and Magnite and all those ad marketplaces generate so much more. Well, here, here's the downside of Magnite, or sorry, Digital Turbine is their only mobile, I mean, basically only mobile apps and a little bit of home screen stuff on Android. So I think a lot of other companies probably want connected TV. They want audio. They want standard web stuff. Right. I think that could be a downside for just digital turbine. Yeah. Cause if you're a big brand, just hand yeah. it off to a DSP and let them take care of it. That's yeah. But this could be a strategic acquisition. <laughs> I know digital turbine has acquired a lot of companies, but this could be a, a nice little strategic acquisition. I don't, I think Google would make it if they weren't under such regulatory stress. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. My bear case similar. I mean, the competitive advantages, quote unquote, that they outlined uh, that we've talked about, given their relationships do not materialize in market share gains and mobile ad market falls flat, not at the projections of $600 billion in 2025, like everyone is expecting, or at least everyone in the industry touts. Also interest rate expense risk could you know impact here. So if we get slower revenue growth combined with uh, headcount increases because they're expecting faster revenue growth, EBITDA margins don't expand, but interest expense rises, uh, free cash flow available to shareholders, you know, might yeah. not be there. Here's my thing is, I don't think there's a very high floor here because there is a lot of risk now financially where, all right, let's say advertising spend does fall, revenue declines, cash flow declines. They have their, their variable rate also depends on their leverage ratio. So they'll have a higher interest rate on top of potentially higher interest rates to begin with. There's a lot of ways this can go poorly now. Yeah. I don't know how badly they'd be impacted by like, unless advertising spend falls in half, I, I which I doubt will happen. I mean, that would be super, super surprising. I, I think a slight decline, they could still do fine. Do you get what I mean? But I mean, it's not a tailwind. It's, it's it is a headwind. I suppose it's a little riskier than Google, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, since they're beholden to Android. Uh, all right, more or less interested, Ryan? On the fence. Uh, it's not that fence. expensive. It's not, the stock is not that expensive. True, but- the, That EV to free fence. cash flow I outlined should come down quickly given the acquisitions. Yeah, I don't- I don't know. I I really like the on-device media part. To me, that seems like like really valuable inventory for an app. Sticky too, and they're the only ones. Yeah, but I just have some yellow flags. So, oh, those I'll, aren't I'll go on the fence. <laughs> May, I mean, maybe this will sound bad if something happens, but those yellow. I feel like those yellow flags are like investigations are bullshit. Or, sorry, no, those are come on. All, all almost every company is getting sued. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, but they, I mean, not all of them have to restate their financials and didn't look into whether their net revenue was gross revenue or whether their gross uh, revenue was net revenue on an acquisition. I mean, come on. I think that's not, that's not, a, that's not a huge deal. I mean, what, if you're th what if you painted 25%? What if, what if the gross margin was 
substantially higher reported than it really should have been. And I think if you margins from there, if you weren't able to calculate that about what net versus gross was as an investor, then you shouldn't be buying the stock anyways. Cause well, they bought the, they bought the companies and weren't able to figure it out. No, no. I mean, they, they just, they knew what the gross profit was. I mean, yeah, there was but a it small, wasn't, it was overstated. No, I mean, majority of this was just, Unless I'm reading into it wrong, the majority of it was but they also just put net in versus product, gross. They put in cost of goods sold into product development. Okay. Well, how much of that was it? I don't know. They didn't say. I mean, that could be a real yellow flag, but I, I don't think that's a huge deal. But either way, I'm, I think I'm less interested just because I don't know. The ad tech market, I don't know. I don't know who's going to win. Um. There's a lot of good companies that make compelling pitches about why they should win. Trade Desk, Magnite, Pubmatic, Digital Turbine. I can envision this, a world where this is a compounds at a very high rate. I would not be surprised if that happens, but I'm not confident it will just because the competitive positioning. All right. It's also come down pretty quickly with the organic growth rate here. Lately. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I will, it'll be fascinating to watch this over the next few years on the sidelines, just as a I'm not, I'm not totally out, but the, uh, it is, uh, I'm not, not outside my circle of competence, but just a little hard to forecast. I don't, yeah, it's, I, I think I understand the business, but I don't understand why advertisers would choose who, who, uh, whatever company and, and that's not Facebook or Google, if you get what I mean. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a tough one here. All right. Stock for next week, Ryan, it is your choice. What do you got for us? All right. I'll give you two options. Poshmark revisited or Squarespace revisited. Let's do Poshmark. A lot of cash on that balance sheet. That's what people are (laughs) saying. Although the product is scammy. I've used it. All right. That's a little teaser for next week. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember to give us a review on Spotify, Apple podcast. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.